Amen. Praise the Lord. Remain standing for prayer if you would. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a praise team that calls us to worship. I mean, I'm thankful every Sunday they actually call us to worship. And, you know, there are a lot of churches, they have a line in their program that will say call to worship. Uh, but uh, they don't, you know, always have a group that is leading in such a way that it actually calls people to worship. And uh, that's, that, you know, it's really struck me this Thanksgiving because it just hit me with, with all of the, uh, you know, I'm as ADD as you are with regard to uh, timelines and, and followers and uh, things that are posted. And I have a lot of people I follow who are not necessarily in America. And, you know, last, uh, see, it would have been 20, uh, 2019, so three years ago at this time, we were on an Israel trip. We were in Israel over Thanksgiving. We're also going to be taking a trip next Thanksgiving. So, so 2023, you'll have a chance to go with us. And, uh, you, know, I, they, we, you know, it was a nice hotel in Jerusalem. And they, uh, Turkey is kosher, so they actually had, we had turkey on Thanksgiving Day. But they don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Israel as a matter of fact, I didn't go ogle it, but I feel like we are the only country that probably celebrates Thanksgiving and has a holiday dedicated to the desire to thank God for what he's given to us. And I, I really feel like that is one thing we could use to claw ourselves back as a nation into right relationship with God. I think we could use Thanksgiving. Inasmuch as judgment begins at the house, so even right judgment begins at the house of God, I think that's got to start with us. But if you would, go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor, and let's, let's pray over what God can do with us today and at this holiday season. God, we come before you, and oh Lord, that, that there might be a great outpouring of your spirit, that we could see it in our community, but also in this country, Lord, where you would convict us of the fact that you have given us so much that we did not deserve. We are so undeserving of everything we have, our place in the world. God, there's just nothing in us that, that deserves that. It is your blessing. And Lord, we've not done for God and for good what we should with all of it. And Lord, certainly we've not We've not honored you in the way that we should with it. And so, Father, I pray you'd be with us today to look into your word, see what we can do. Let, it, let correct judgment about Thanksgiving start here at your house this Sunday. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 29. You know, I feel like the correct biblical concept of worship is, um, you know, just about as unknown in our society as the correct biblical concept of how to become a Christian, of being born again, of being, having a spiritual birth. And according to Jesus, you must be born again. So the only way to become a Christian is to have that spiritual birth and all of the Catholic and mainline Protestants and uh, cults do not acknowledge that. And likewise, worship is kind of a central thing, and it suffers from the same misinformation, disinformation, and therefore misunderstanding. But I'm going to suggest that if we cannot worship, 
then we can't serve. If we can't worship, we can't minister. If we can't worship, we cannot fulfill the mission that God has for us with our life. If, we can, if you cannot worship, you can't even witness credibly. And if we can't worship, we're not really a church in the Bible definition of the term. So we need worship and we need to understand worship. <clears throat> we need to explain worship to others that don't know what it's about. And worship is the method, I mean, basically at the bottom line, this most simple thing you're going to hear me say today. Uh, so if, you know, for another, no other, you know, this is kind of a regular Sunday, right? This is kind of a normal Sunday. Didn't have any videos. Don't have special guest speakers. Uh, you know, it's the day after, you know, Sunday after Thanksgiving, but n not a lot going on. So what my, my philosophy in that situation is, well, everything should be ordinary except the sermon. So let's make the sermon extraordinary. I'll actually say something simple. And that is that worship is the mechanism. Worship is the method by which you give glory to God. Amen. That's what that is. And we exist in this life to glorify God. Therefore, the thesis for today's study is you cannot fully understand who you are and why you are until you learn to see God for who he is and what he wants out of your life. So worship is the ultimate of everything that we do and that we are to be as Christians. And that means it cannot take place only at church. So this being the Sunday after Thanksgiving Thursday, I want you to go to Psalm 29 with me so we can tie our thanksgiving to true biblical worship. You know, God sees someone who is lost and he seeks them. When they get saved, he rejoices. As Jesus says, all heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance, Luke 15, 7. But once you get saved, God is still seeking. He is seeking for you once more. And God must be having some problems because he is still trying to find worshipers, according to John 4, verse 23. Now, it boggles my mind to think that the God who created the universe, and therefore created you, has to actually look for people to worship him. I mean, he has to look for people who reverence him in their life. And this is because famous people captivate our attention. I mean, Taylor Swift can break the internet, apparently. And humans draw that type of attention from other humans. And yet the Father has to seek to find people who will worship him. So you could say, and this is our first point for study, that the primary reason God saves you is to worship him and set yourself apart for his service. Because service is part of your worship. And that's what really, that's all Christian holiness is. It is not sinlessness. It is being set apart to worship God by serving his purpose for you in eternity. And we've got to contact him in spirit through his truth because he is operating on this planet from a spiritual and an invisible frame of reference. God operates in a different spiritual dimension according to John 4, verse 24. And it has to do with truth and it has to do with spirit. 
And one thing we ought to start with today, so you make sure that you get it down, your only physical contact with God in spirit. Okay, Jai, your only physical contact with capital W word, John chapter one. So John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, capital W. Now we know from verse 14, that's talking about Jesus, but it doesn't say in the beginning was Jesus. It says in the beginning was the word, capital W, and your only physical contact with the capital W word is the small case W words of God. That's your only, that's why it's spirit and truth, baby. Because you've got to use God's words to get to God and get more God in you so you can get going. And this is our second point for study. If your inner life is not intact, if it's not correct, then you cannot contact God by using any external ceremony, ritual, sacrament. I mean, it doesn't matter how well you dress, how loud you shout, or how hard you sing. Is your inner man okay, as Ephesians 3.16 calls it? Is the hidden man of the heart okay, as 1 Peter 3.4 calls it? You know, nearly all of Christendom, most of evangelicaldom, and many in Baptisthood miss that. Somehow, we define worship by the externals of praise, pulpit, and place. But, but worship, that, worship involves that thing, that, that thing inside of you that makes you who you are. Your soul, your inner man, which is as real as your conscious self and is going to exist for eternity. So you need to hook up your spirit person to the spirit of God, and that is worship. So to get to worship, your inner man has to be God-oriented. In other words, it has to be oriented to God's truth. Therefore, and this is our third point for study, God wants worship from the person who is inwardly operating on divine revelation. That divine revelation being given to you in the Bible, in the words of God. So that means if you're not worshiping God according to biblical guidelines, you're not really worshiping God at all. And some people say, you know, but Alan, look, all ways lead to God. There are many paths, there are many roads that will get you to God. But that's an incorrect statement because God created you. And so he's the only one who has the prerogative to define for you the path for you to take to him. You've got to worship God on his terms or else your worship, just like Cain's. Remember Cain and Abel? Your worship, just like Cain's worship, will be rejected. Look at Psalm 139 on your handout, verse 23. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me. That happens in life. That happens in a physical way. And know my thoughts. See if I've got the mind of God leading me in the walk that I'm walking with you. And that's, you know, then you'll know if my heart's really good or not. And see if there be any wicked way in me. I'm not walking the right way. And if I am, lead me into the way everlasting. So God has a standard for worship. That standard is in his word. You've got to put two things together to get correct worship. You've got to know the words of God, small w, 
You gotta have a pure heart before God that contacts the word of God, big W. So in other words, you gotta be walking in the word and walking in the spirit. Because you only get a pure heart before God by trusting Jesus for the everlasting life he promises you and being born again. That is what puts the Holy Spirit in you. So, so when, when that happens and you get saved, we call it getting saved because you're born again. Well, then a new man, why, why are you saved? What saves you? What saves you is that a new man is put inside your old man. Ephesians 4.24, Colossians 3.10. So that your inner man makes the hookup and your mind can now feed on God's truth. So the gospel good news today is this. If your inner man is right and you are operating by the word, then God the Father is looking for you. And he's looking for you first to get saved and then he's looking out for you as you serve him. And man, that is an awesome concept because that means he will not be hard to find if you meet the criteria. You're searching for him, right spot, right way, right, right Bible. I mean, his criteria is a proper inner life and a biblically walking outer life. And the tragedy is, the Father is having such a hard time today to find people like that. Why? I'll tell you why. It is because we do not teach our children a biblical worldview. We do not teach them a biblical worldview in our society anymore. We do not teach them a biblical worldview in our schools. We have not taught the next generation how Bible values are so much more valuable than what our culture is teaching them. And sad to say, many parents today accommodate getting their kids out of Bible culture and getting them acculturated to the society of this world system. What a shame. Can I just tell you, we got a set. We got a set thing we're doing, we're going to be doing this year into next. You know, I've always had a hard time with timing everything just right at, you know, January 1st. And we are going to make some changes come in January. We're going to make some, you know, changes uh, that will happen in January. But, you know, God, God was, you know, what is January? It's, it's the Roman god Janus. And uh, God's always, you know, for the, the significant times in the Bible, always the spring and the fall. Rosh Hashanah, the, the head of the year, is actually in September. That's about the time. Things start percolating for me and thinking about, okay, what, what, what does God want to, where's God taking us? What does he want us to do now? So we have a set standard thing, a purpose we are going to be about as a church. And it's going to be about that very issue. We're going to be getting our youngest kids, our youth and our college, and we're going to make accommodation. We're going to make sure that we're bringing the next generation alongside us, not just behind us, but alongside us in where we need to be for God. And if you have a right heart, but not truth, well, then you're sincere, but you're still wrong. If you have the truth, but your heart's not right, well, then you're acting in hypocrisy. And either way, with the expedience of humanism or of rationalism, you have missed worship because you did not understand the definition. You know, that, that's such a, 
needless, wasteful thing, because if you look at Lamentations chapter 3, what Jeremiah says in verse 23, he says, talking about the Lord's mercies, and he says, they're new every morning. God, great is thy faithfulness. God never gets stale with you. That means there is always something to incite your worship. So let's get jiggy with it now, and, and let's Let's, let's look at thanksgiving and worship. I'm going to do good on my mama today and, and in a real way. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Okay, now let me give you the, let me set the context before I apply to, to you. This is the Psalm of David. And he's giving an order to ye mighty. And ye mighty, the mighty ones, are uh, that is a term that includes principalities, powers, angels. That term in, includes human stars and world authorities. And what he says to them, which surely applies to you, is you are to give unto the Lord your glory and your strength. Not because you can add glory and add strength to the Lord, but you are to do it because you have the privilege to ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength that is due from you. You can credit him all your glory and strength. You can give appropriate recognition. You can give due reference. And that means, let me hit you with this definition, because that means the purpose of thanksgiving and the point of praise is to let God know that you know that he is glorious and strong. That, that he originates any glory or strength that you've got. But my point today is that he's worthy of thanksgiving every day, all the time, in things both great and small, even the small stuff that we sweat. Our problem is we celebrate thanksgiving once a year to the gods of our choice and then miss out on worshiping the one true God day by day. And here's the dealio on that. Unless you look for all the ways to praise the Lord's glory and strength, unless you look for it, Satan's going to distract you from ever seeing it. So we get so wrapped up in our own world that we miss worship. We get wrapped up in Russia and war and supply chains and inflation and elections and uncertainty. But worship begins with recognizing the Lord's glory in the midst of all that and the Lord's strength to carry you through. So, verse 2, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord, it says, in the beauty of holiness. Now, you, now you can't just read over these words without doing Simple English Bible exegesis. And I will say that is the fault. That is the problem. That is the failure of modern Bible study. You can go to the Christian bookstore. You can check, you can check Amazon or any place online and you can go ogle books on Bible study. And uh, you will not find one that talks about simple English exegesis of the, of the King James text. And the, there's a reason for that. And the reason, well, one reason is because we want a version that is readable without having to suffer through divine accuracy. 
the publishers, the translators, and scholars want to make a version that is understandable to the lost person, to even a lost man, without having to suffer through preaching and teaching. And, you know, we want, so we want to buy a Bible that we think we can understand at first glance, and we don't need to go through the study of actually studying the Bible and making sure that we cross-reference things and look up words and trace them down in concordance. You know, we don't want to do all of that. We don't know what, you know, we don't want to follow simple English grammar. But you know what? You can only worship the Lord based on his own standards, which means based on his own words. And your worship is wasted if you do not bring what is beautiful to him. Holiness is not sinlessness. Holiness is your set-apartness for God's mission. And that is beautiful because it'll protect you from evil. It'll keep you from sin. All I'm, all I'm doing is giving you the fruits of a word study when you look up holy and holiness. It is beautiful because it's an attribute of God who set himself apart to save you. And it is beautiful because without holiness, nobody nobody's going to see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. And that's beautiful because it's the most rare commodity in our world today. I mean, we, I mean, we even used to have a Holy Bible once. We had a Holy Bible in English. Matter of fact, we had a Holy Bible. We had a Holy Bible, the same Holy Bible for 270 years. We had the same Holy Bible. It was a Holy Bible. It was set apart. It was God's words. It's God's words in the English language because it's always had for 270 years. But you know what? There's a reason why the Bible says money is the root of all evil. You know why money is the root of all evil? Because you've got to have money to build your idols. That's why money is the root of all evil. Because once you have money, you can, you can get stuff. You can get stuff, and then the Bible says, you know what, covetousness for all that stuff is really just idolatry. So what had happened was the scholars started looking at the text as if it were just a human production, as if God had nothing to do with getting it to us. I mean, mean, they can protest and say they believe in inspiration all they want. They still actively advocate the fact God had nothing to do in getting it down to us. God had nothing to do in preserving it. God had nothing to do in getting the correct manuscripts to the right people in the Reformation. God had nothing to do in getting in the English language uh, Wycliffe and then six six printed revisions and King James VII and then it stopped. God had nothing to do with that. And instead, we need to look at this setup as the same way any lost man would look at it and so, so what we need to do is we need to present to you new translations and new versions because we can copyright those and we get the money. I mean, money's the root of all types of mess-ups. So what they do is lie to you and it says, Holy Bible. It ain't holy anymore, baby Baba. I mean, they took the holiness right out of it. All you got to do is read the footnotes. All you got to do is read the notes in their study Bibles. All you got to do is read it. Just read it, NIV study Bible, ESV study Bible. John chapter 8, first half of this chapter, nah, shouldn't, shouldn't even be in there. 
Last, last half of Mark 16, nah. You know, we don't even know why it's here. Well, okay. That, you know, that's, uh, they, it still says Holy Bible on the spine, but I question, uh, you know, th- that, uh, that title. But we, we did, we have had, we do have, we still have a Holy Bible today. And yet, what church is teaching your children God's standard, God's truth, God's values, God's frame of reference, and God's worldview so that they can become saints a holy generation? And that's what I like about our Awana program, is, you know, Bible Club for Kids. You know what? Because they are memorizing the very same verses, mostly the very same verses we use in our discipleship. They are memorizing verses we use in our discipleship lessons. So, you know, I think since we are all called to be saints, Romans 1 verse 7, 1 Corinthians 1 2, because saints is simply the Bible words for those who are perfecting their holiness, then you may very well be less than the least of all the saints which Paul said he was in Ephesians 3, verse 8. But my job description, my job description over you is still right here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Look at it. I preach and teach for the perfecting of the saints so that you can do the work of the ministry, so that you can edify, you can build up this body of Christ. So I've got to, I'm called to preach, but I've got to deliver you a call to perfect your holiness. And you cannot do that on your own because it is only the word of God that does the work. But the word of God will do the work if you got it and you get into it because that is your physical point of contact. Those small W words of God are your contact point for the capital W, Word of God, Jesus. And I, you know, I kind of wonder, why did we ever give up the title saint? Just because we got scared of holiness. And, you know, why did we give up being saints? Just because our society has become so twisted spiritually. Because there are things manifest to the saints that other people cannot see, according to Colossians 1.26. You know, and Jesus is going to be admired by many people. But at the second advent, he comes to be glorified in his saints. 2 Thessalonians 1.10. So ask the Lord today to cleanse you from those foul faults which prevent your thanksgiving from glorifying him. What is it that we want to look for to bring out of you thanksgiving to God? Verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. That's like the first song that we, you know, that we sang this morning. Brandon and I never collaborate, but all the, you know, I'm looking at, you know, singing along that first song. It's like, wow, that's that's exactly what we're going to show you today. There's seven thunders in the book of Revelation, chapter 10, verse 4. And when God thunders, literally, and in history, a rapture takes place. Job 37, 4. Uh, Jesus' trumpet-like voice, Revelation 4, verses 1 and 2, may very well be mistaken as thunder to others. After all, it was in John 12, 29. But that trumpeting voice will call us to come up hither. 
1 Thessalonians 4.16. But now setting that aside, setting that application aside, there are obstacles to be removed so that you can praise God right now. I mean, think about it. When Israel reached the waters, the waters kept them in the world, in Egypt, and the waters kept them in the wilderness across Jordan. So Israel came to the Red Sea water, and I mean, they'd already been saved because they had been put under the sheltering blood of the atoning lamb that had been slain, and the blood you know, plastered on the doorposts, and yet the enemy is denying all that. He's denying them that. And so they were saved by the blood, but he still wants to drag them back into bondage, slavery in Egypt, which is a Bible type, a picture of the world. And he still wants to drag you back under the old way of life, the old man, the old system, the spirit of our age, even though you're saved by the blood. So between Israel and freedom is some waters. And it keeps them in the world, even though they're no longer of the world. And then all of a sudden the sea fled. Why? Well, because Moses took the rod and he did exactly what God's words told him to do. And because he obeyed the voice of God's command, now Israel is not only saved, they're able to get baptized. And by being baptized under the cloud and surrounded by walls of water on either side, it put a wall, a water of separation between them and the world forever. Now look at this because this will shout you if your shouter's not broken. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, and how many are, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And now because of the voice of the Lord, what had been an obstacle actually becomes their protection. Because as soon as they get across, Moses takes that rod. And because of what the voice of the Lord, the words of God tells him to do, he closes up the Red Sea. And the Red Sea now seals them from ever going back to an old way of life. From henceforth and forever, they're to walk in newness of life. No longer can the old master keep them in bondage. And that is a picture of your water baptism at this church. But now check this, because 40 years later, a new generation arises and they now stand beside the Jordan River and the Jordan is keeping them in the wilderness. And the Red Sea kept them in the world, even though they were already saved. And now the Jordan keeps them in the wilderness of a grumbling, mumbling, carnal life, even after they've been redeemed by the blood. So the Jordan keeps them in defeat and discouragement and disobedience. But now the voice of the Lord on the waters, once again, all of a sudden the, the waters flee. And now they end up standing on the victory side of Jordan. And although both battles and blessings still await them in the promised land, they get to move on to maturity at last. And that's our fourth point for study. You will grow. You will start reaching spiritual maturity. Things will start happening for you. When you get out of the world by baptism and then get out of the wilderness by getting discipled, sign up for discipleship. And now most churches can't even say that to you today because most churches today are not biblically disciple-making churches. 
And that is why they default back to the best that a lost man can do on a good day, which is the world's ways of counseling, psychotherapy, and life coaching. Oh, I said it, I meant it, and I'm here to represent it. But now watch, not only are the obstacles removed by thanksgiving, opportunities are revealed by thanksgiving. Watch verse four, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young unicorn. Now this is second coming language because what he's describing is similar to an atomic bomb exploding. But setting that application aside, let's concentrate on the application of your life today. Cedar is an incorruptible wood. That's why we use it in our paneling and in our homes and other places because uh, termites won't get into cedar. Uh, It's fragrant and it's incorruptible and uh, lasts a long time. And it's a picture of the spiritual man in you. And God tests us. He always tests us in the storm. I mean, there's a coming storm. All right, that's, that's the way he tests us. But now watch the opportunities. Sirion is the highest peak of Mount Hermon. And mountains picture the kingdom for Israel, but they picture fellowship for us. So the mountain shouts us to higher ground and the mountain shouts us to nearness with God like Matthew 17, 1. The enemy is who wants to keep you in the valley with the, the lunatic child and the disciples can't throw him out. Throw the demon out. But look, watch what it says. He maketh them also to skip like a calf because here's our fifth point for study. Every stronghold, every device the devil uses to keep you down can be shaken. And more than that, more than just it can be dismantled, more than just it can be deconstructed, this process leads you to something because to skip like a calf pictures fruitfulness according to verse 9. I mean, those little hills are what what grow the best crops. I mean, best crops are grown there like your coffee. Okay, you're awake now. And he says, wow, oh, he's talking about coffee. All right, I guess, uh, let me pay attention. What'd you say? The sides of Syrian is where the hinds, the deer, stand knee-deep in clover, where the vines flourish and the olives flourish, and God wants you to be fruitful, not fretful or fearful. And he will remove obstacles as he's giving you the promised land. But thanksgiving is what enables us to possess our possessions. See, that's the balance of biblical authority. The balance of biblical authority is taking your spiritual life and your holiness and your understanding of God's part and ours. Understanding that some of God's promises to you have premises. And if the premise is not fulfilled by you, then the promise is not carried out by God. And all of this is part of teaching our next generation the value of biblical values. Now, I need to cut across the field. My time's short, yours valuable. So uh, I, I wish, you know, I wish I was that type of preacher. Sometimes I wish I was type of preacher where you could come on Sunday and I could just say one thing or maybe two things or at most three things 
on a Sunday and then you could sleep in between points. I, I wish, sometimes I wish I were that type preacher. But instead, time's short, mine's short, yours valuable. Everything I'm saying today is significant because we've got to get out of the world and out of our wilderness and we've got to take a stand and we've got to get grounded on sanctification and surrender and we've got to scale the heights of fellowship and nearness and worship of God. We've got to sow seeds of thanksgiving. We've got to take steps toward faithfulness. We've got to start producing fruitfulness. And when we do, we are invincible. Watch verse seven. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf and discovereth the forests. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Well, the church was born in a flame of forked lightning, Acts 2 verse 3. His voice makes the deer have babies because his word wants to make you fruitful. Oh, that he would shake us out of our apathy. Oh, that we could get shaken out of our complacency and he would make us fruitful for him this year and into next. He wants the sacrifice of praise to be the fruit of your lips, Hebrews 13, 15. So God moves in nature in order to call your attention to praising and worshiping and thanking God. And I know, I mean, we're all good Baptists. So whenever, whenever there's a heavy snow or rain, first thing we think is, should I go to church today? Me snowing today. Surely they wouldn't want me. I mean, I long for the day. You know, back in the day, we never canceled services. The weather canceled services. I was going to be here. If you can't make it, that's fine. And, and so the weather just canceled. If you just can't travel, you can't travel. You know, but, but these days it's, it's like, well, you know, should we have church this Sunday? Well, it's not a true, what a true worshiper thinks. True worshiper says, wow, God, you're awesome. Wow, God, that thunder. Wow, God, snow, I know what that means. I mean, do we look for God in those things or look for our own convenience? No, I'm sorry, I should have warned you before I said that. I mean, I don't want to make anybody have a calf. I don't want you to have a calf because of hard preaching. But I do wish we would teach our children to see God more regularly. And this is our sixth point for study, because if you first get a child to start looking for God, they'll see God even in stuff you don't see him in. And then their faith will spur you to be faithful and look for him even more. I mean, when you get young kids together, ask them, what did God do today? Not a special thing, but just, just routine things. Uh, that's what they'll give you because they see God in everything. Are you directing them to look to God first? Maybe your youth, maybe your middle school, high school, maybe your college. Do you look to God first? You know, the first thing we ought to do when things happen in our life is give homage. That means regard, respect, praise, tribute, glory, and acclaim to God. Verse 9. Because thanksgiving is a key component to personal worship. And if you go back to what Jeremiah said in Lamentations, just back it up a verse, he says it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. The mere fact he woke you up this morning is reason to praise. 
But Christians fall into the same problem as unbelievers. We have the inside scoop on the beautiful day, and we still don't praise. I mean, it's a God-ordained day full of glory, so that it can be full of our thanksgiving. Verse 10, the Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. Now the flood of verse 10 is the waters of verse 3, which are in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and Habakkuk 3.10. They are the waters that be above the heavens, Psalm 148, verse 4. But setting that aside, this is the place that God wants to get you to, where you acknowledge that he's not just king today. He is your king forever. He is your king no matter. He is your king for an eternal purpose for your soul. So let me open a window on this word because I think, you know, there's some countries like England that have a constitutional monarchy. And in a constitutional monarchy, the president makes no government decisions. I mean, the prime minister does the courtesy to come and inform the monarch, uh, the president or monarch. Israel has a president in the same condition. It's not like executive, like our president. They have a parliament uh, as does England. And so, okay, the, the prime minister goes to the president, to monarch, says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And monarch just has to rubber stamp it because the king has no actual function in government. Now, this is our seventh point for study because the only way you're going to make God king indeed is through your proper acknowledgement of his rule by thanksgiving. Because I think far too many Christians have a constitutional monarchy in their life. Verse 11 says, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The storm rages, we have peace. The trees split, we have peace. The mountains move, we got peace. The forests smoke, we've got peace. Do you have that peace today? Jesus asks in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, and why take ye thought for raiment? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I, I say unto you that even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 33, because this is the conclusion of the matter. Therefore, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Take thought first for his kingdom. Give him thanksgiving. Give him glory. Give him praise. And let, let God sort out the rest. Amen. View it providentially. Let him take care of it. Jesus saw the movement of his father in nature and he taught his disciples to reason from that to God's providential care for them. I mean, if the lilies are not worried, then what do you got to worry about? The lilies didn't get clothed by chance. God chose the colors. Why do you think, Jesus says, that my Father's going to let you go naked? Let me hit you with a definition. Thanksgiving means ascribing to God what he's due, independent of how you feel. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And you know where Paul was at when he wrote that. He was unjustly incarcerated in prison, not knowing if he's going to live or die. And he writes to Philippians and says, hey, what are you so upset about? Thanksgiving changes you in the midst of your circumstance because it puts your focus on the cross 
and it lifts Christ higher than your problem. Praise is what makes God greater than your Goliath. So you can step up to your Goliath and say, Mama said, Goliath down. (laughs) Don't take my word for it. Just try it. Just try it. This year into next, next time your life collapses, do 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I wish you could understand that he gives strength Because you know what that means? That means he gives you the ability to accomplish the mission. That means if you're not interested in accomplishing God's mission with your life, what's he going to give you any ability for? He's going to give you strength just to keep ignoring him? I think not. So pray your way through, praise your way through, to push your way through in Jesus. You know, and at the risk of TMI, I think I'd say this. Nobody's felt like giving up like I felt like giving up. I mean, I used to be empathetic for other people's, used to have empathy for other people's predicaments and problems. And then, you know, but then it's like, I don't know if I have as much empathy as I used to, but I'm here to tell you today that when you praise him in personal worship, you get strength no matter how strong your weakness. My retreat's always the Psalms. You know, there are times when I'm like, man, I don't even know how I've gone on. All I know is I'm here. I don't even need to analyze it, and I'm going to think about it. Because it's exactly the opposite direction, the wrong direction. If I go back and think about how did I get wounded, and who wounded me, and and how badly was I hurt? No. God gives the strength, and look at what goes along with, if if you get strength, look what goes along with it, verse 11, peace. And there is nothing that can tackle you if you have both strength and peace. Sometimes we're strong, but we're contentious. Sometimes we're at peace, but we're weak. God gives both. You say, yeah, but Alan, that doesn't solve my problem. No, and God may never solve your problem this side of this life. But he doesn't have to. Because Jesus says in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Rejoice. I've overcome the world. I'll give you strength so you can make it. I'll give you peace so you want to make it. So we've got a set program. We've got a standard thing we've got to do. We've got to do that. We know what we're going to be doing as a church. Let's work with our kids, our youth, and our college for them to be the generation that seek God's face with us. To do that better, we are going to make some interim temporary changes in January on the way to choosing a specific facility solution next year. But let me ask you this today. Will you live forever with Jesus? Today is the day you can make sure that you will. Today is the day you can make sure you have life after death. And I wouldn't close without giving you an opportunity for you to thank the Lord today because today becomes the day you get saved. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us. Now, I don't know what translation you're coming from, but let me just say, God does not just show it to you. But of course, we want a translation immediately understandable 
even though it's not accurate. The James gang used that word commendeth because God is recommending it. He, he recommends it to you, which means he's presenting it to you for your approval and acceptance. So it is commended because you have a choice to receive it or refuse it. Verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Receive it or refuse it. Much more than being now justified by Christ's blood, by the blood of God in Christ, we shall be saved from wrath through him, saved from hell. For if when we were enemies, before we got saved, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Thank you for the privilege of your attention today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you saved? Are you born again? Will you thank God for what he's actually done for you by asking him to save you today if you're not saved? If you've never yet trusted Jesus for eternal life, I'm asking you to believe and receive, to trust him right now. And all you have to do is pray. Just pray. Say, God, all you've asked me to do is believe on your son. I have to do anything else. I don't have to keep any set of sacraments or do any ritual. I, I don't have to clean up my life. I don't have to change myself. I can come just as I am because all you've asked me to do is to believe to believe on the finished work of Christ, that he died for my sins on the cross. And so the work of appeasing you is finished. The work of meriting entrance into your heaven is, is done. So I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. I believe, so I receive. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. God, make me born again right now. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you give Jesus your life, God puts his life into you. He puts the Holy Spirit into you. And then as you get into the word of God, the words, small w, connect you to the words at big W and you start growing. You get filled with the spirit. You're able to, you're able to grow and then build up others. And then you come more and more into the image and the likeness of Christ. All the things you couldn't change because you could never change yourself. The word of God will do the work. Go ahead and stand if you would. I'm going to ask you that if you prayed that today, make sure you come up and let us know. Come right now or come while we're singing or come after as soon as we get done singing. There are people here at the front, our altar counselors. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for new believers, or maybe if you just don't have a copy and you want one, come up and ask for it. Uh, if you want somebody to pray with you, come up and tell them and they'll, they'll sit down and pray with you today. I you know, talked with a young man this morning we've been ministering to and had a close relative, I feel like he said sister, that uh, just, in, just over the Thanksgiving holiday, stabbed to death by a drunken boyfriend. How senseless. How senseless. But God can give you strength and God can give you peace. You can begin to make sense out of the sense you make sense 
Don't worry about the other person. You need to make God's sense for you. And you need to keep going with that. 